All right. This morning's congregational reading comes from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, verses 45 through 47. And would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you give the carcass of the Philistine carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and to the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. You got to love a good uh, congregational reading that has people getting beheaded and um, carcasses getting thrown to the wild birds out there. Hope you feel encouraged today. The battle belongs to the Lord. Yeah. Oh, man. Could we, uh, could we uh, just spend maybe, I mean, this morning's worship was just so beautiful. Jack, you guys, thank you so much for leading us so beautifully that way. I think it'd be, it'd be good for us just to, um, to continue to just um, give our attention and, and just our heart to the Lord this morning, uh, particularly as we make these movements from one section of the service to the next, uh, to just continue to just center our hearts and our attention on the Father would be really, really good. So can we just do that? Can we just calm down a little bit, you know, and, and uh, just be sure that we offer the Lord everything we have for Him today? Just get our feet firmly on the ground. and We like to do this sometimes here at the Gathering Network. Um, uh, take some deep breaths sometimes in moments like this because it actually helps our brain settle down. It's, actually, it's an actual scientific neurological fact <laughs> that uh, deep breaths can bring you into a moment like this and help bring peace and calm. So let's just do that together, you know? Let's just take a deep breath in. Fill your belly up. Hold it. Just exhale. Breathe in. Exhale. Breathe in. Exhale. Just fall into a pattern of breathing that's right for you. Father, we just pray um, over this whole room today that there would just be a, a, a sense of your peace today. Your incredible peace in this place, God.
your rest in this place today, God. Over all the things we've been praying about in this series, Father, just from secularism to revival um, to contending patterns, all of these things um, that have been like planes that are in the air, God, I pray that today that there would just be this sense that some of them are coming down today in very practical ways and ways that we can receive, ways that we can um, uh, own and take as, as, as our very own today. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak to us in this cultural moment right now and bring to us a sense of who we are and who we are to be right now. Um, I'm asking you today, God, for things that I cannot do on my own, God, as a teacher, as a pastor, as a friend to everyone here. What we need in this moment is we need the Spirit of God to come and bring like an illumination to our heart that only heaven can bring, just a little deeper and a little deeper. And so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, we say, yes, come and, come and take us deeper into who we are in Christ in a, in a phenomenal way today, like truly like a phenomenon, like a miracle, like the way that the Spirit of God does it, where you come and you take us deeper into who we are in Christ and you bring light um, to our eye, God. You bring light to our minds, God. You bring revelation to our heart. We need you for this today. Only you can do this. Only you can do it. And we pray that you would do it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I, I, I do love the story that Greg just read, which, by the way, you've got a great reading voice, my man. Um, um, well, we already knew that. Um, I, I, love, I love that story. It's been very formational to me in my own life, especially in this, in this season, and it directly applies to what we're talking about today. Today, we're actually unpacking what it means to live in contending patterns. We're in a series right now that we're calling contending patterns uh, for a reason, and I'll get to that you know, here in just a little bit, like what that reason is. And I'll even, you know, unpack what a contending pattern actually is. But what we see in this passage, that passage was taken from, that, that little, you know, bit of scripture was taken from the David and Goliath passage, which has been so cool over the last, like, 18 months. God has really rescued uh, that story for me off of, like, Sunday school felt board story, you know, um, you guys were looking at me like you don't know what a felt board was, which I feel like really dated me. Jack, you know what a felt board was? Yeah, okay, yeah. Thank you, Larissa. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Um, they were things that we used to do in ancient times. Um, whatever. Um, um, I'm remembering something that Reeve said to me earlier this week where he kind of was trying to measure up my age. I think I told him, we drove by this old Oldsmobile this week, and I looked at it. He looked at it, he was like, Dad, look at that car, like it was a fossil. And I said, that was my first car, man, that I ever, and it was, he could not compute that. And I think he said something like, that makes sense. <laughs> like, like, come on, man. Yeah, come on, like, that makes sense. I love the David and Goliath story because it's just so, it's so intense, and um, it really is the story of a young 
boy who knows who he is, um, who enters into a space where he's actually contending for something much larger than himself. He's actually contending for the, like for the entire, the, the entire family of Israel, you know? And, you know, you know it, but I just feel you know, like I want to animate it a little bit for us today. He comes off of this shepherd's hill, right, where he's tending to his flock and he's t- bringing food to his brothers who are supposed to be fighting a war with the Philistines. And when he gets there, he finds that they're not fighting a war at all. They're actually, you know, sitting comfortably on their side. And there is a giant uh, on the side of the Philistines who is coming out daily and taunting the people of God, like coming out basically every day and just just talking them down. And no one in the Israel army seems to know who they are. No one seems to know who they are or what they have, especially their king. Saul is locked away in his tent, hidden and just like trembling in fear. And he himself won't even go out to meet this guy. David walks out and he's like, who's that guy? And he says, who is that uncircumcised Philistine who defiles the army of God? Which is an incredible thing to say because what he's talking about He's talking about a mark that had been given to every young man in Israel that says, you are the people of God. There's a distinguishing factor at the very core of your identity, at the very core of who you are that says, you belong to the Lord. And David's been on this hillside as a shepherd, just, just, just meditating on who he is in Christ. Scriptures say that he's killed lions and bears with his bare hands. He's tended to his flock. He's learned simple um, realities of leadership. But more than that, he's given his heart to, to God. Like he's given his heart to God on this hillside. And he comes out to this battle and he's like, what is up? And he looks around at the army and he's like, you guys don't even know who you are. You know? And he's, I think the, I think the historians say something like 15 or 16 years old. He goes to Saul and he says, I'll fight him. It makes no sense. He says, I'll fight him. And his brothers talk him down. His brothers basically insult him and say, who are you to think that you can do this? You're too young. They speak directly to his identity. Saul himself patronizes him, you know, tries to put his armor on him, you know, which has become a mere metaphor of somebody else trying to put their way or their story on you. And David finally gets to a point where he's like, yeah, I, just can't, I just can't bear all of this. I'm going to fight this battle my way because God has proven to me who I am and who I am in him. I've killed lions and bears with my own hands, you know? So he seeks the Lord down by a stream, gets five smooth stones. It makes no sense to fight a giant this way you know, and runs onto the battlefield, like runs onto, like with eagerness, runs out there and says what, what Greg read over us today. It says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I love this. Do you, do you not love this? I love this. I wish that this was a movie. I read this and I start like, I'm just like, man, I'm feeling like I'm watching Braveheart. I'm hearing music, you know, like a Hans Zimmerman track is like rolling behind this. And I'm like, just getting just so jacked on this. And he says, 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. David had this amazing, because he'd already killed lions and bears with his own hands. He already knew the battle belonged to the Lord. He already knew that he could be supernaturally filled with strength to do something that people who don't know who they are in Christ can't do. He's like, I'm going to run out here into this like giant and I'm just, I'm going to slay this guy, not because of what I'm able to do, but because this battle in this moment in time belongs to the Lord. This battle belongs to the Lord. And David went out there and he contended and he did just what he said he was going to do effortlessly, effortlessly. When we're talking about contending patterns, that story really does capture what it is that we're talking about. We're talking about people who are able to contend for the things of God as the people of God from our identity in God with the power of God. Do you know what I mean? All of those things. And it's funny because contending typically happens out of some sense of crisis. And if you're joining us now, and if you haven't been with us through any of the sermons or any of the weeks that we've been talking about this series, I'm drawing an arc for you that I've gotten from a a, a sociologist, kind of a, a Christian sociologist. His name is Mark Sayers, who is a beautiful mind who really helps dissect what's happening culturally and to discern. I think he's one of the most prophetic voices in the church today to help us really understand what's happening in this moment that we are in right now. He's gone back and he's studied like revivals. Um, I don't even know how many revivals he's studied, but he's basically created an arc. And he said, this is a similar pattern that happens out of revivals in human history. And they all start out of crisis. They all start out of crisis. And then from um, crisis, uh, they, they move to like a holy discontent where the people of God are, are really able to kind of identify the, the discontent that they feel in cultural crisis. They begin to prepare themselves for a move of God, and then they move into contending patterns. I'm going to read through this a little bit more for you so that you can kind of hear. I'm going to just do a, a read through our, our pretty significant recap right now because of you know, the journey that we've been on. So hang on. It goes like this. The crisis that we have, um, that I've put before you guys that I believe is that we're in right now is this crisis of living in a post-Christian secular society, basically, a progressively post-Christian secular society. And just hear me out on this. Secularism as we've talked about, is an attempt to create a belief system for human flourishing in which the presence of God is absent. In many ways, it's a belief system that has carried the core ethical values that originated in a Judeo-Christian worldview, especially the teachings of Jesus, yet it seeks to eliminate any notion of God, the authority of Scripture, and the divinity of Jesus. We have said over and over again, secularism wants the kingdom, 
but not the king. And this creates a confusing and disorienting atmosphere for a modern believer as our culture becomes more and more post-Christian because secularism influences most media and educational outlets, entertainment, news sources, and social media. And it will require that followers of Jesus become very aware and self-differentiated persons who can be in the culture and not of it. Christ followers must learn how to quote-unquote hang on to themselves in this cultural moment without becoming so religiously rigid that they fortify themselves against the culture or so lost in what we call the radical individual life script that they become progressively porous, unable to hang on to any sense of who they are under the Lordship of Christ. What we need today are believers who know who they are and who they are to be in this cultural moment. A pastor from New York City that I love, his name is John Tyson. I was listening to a, a podcast that he did a couple, uh, couple of months ago, and it was on secularism. And at the very, very end of it, he said that secularism is to us both a gift and a threat. Secularism comes as a gift in the way that it's causing Christians to think imaginatively about the ethics of Christianity, meaning justice, peace, equality. And in many ways, unfortunately, our culture is leading the church to think creatively in this way. I think the church is behind the culture and thinking progressively through those ideas. Yet it comes as a threat when it demotes and exiles the authority of Scripture or even worse, the existence and authority of God and the divinity of Jesus. What we need to know, this is a metaphor that I've been thinking through lately, is that there is a wolf dressed like a sheep in the sheep pen. Okay? There's a wolf. It's dressed like a sheep, and it's in the sheep pen. All right? Now, our reactionary, you know, spirit wants to, like, kill the wolf. Right? But I don't think we can necessarily kill the wolf right now. It's a really, really big wolf. Right? And we're in this culture. What the sheep need to do is ask how knowing it's here can make us more aware and stronger sheep. See what I'm saying? Like the sheep just need to know, hey, there's a wolf over there. And what we need to do is we need to respect the fact that that's a wolf and we know it's a wolf and we know we're sheep. You know what I'm saying? But what we need to say is we're sheep though. We're 100% sheep. We're 100% sheep, and we love being sheep. And what we might not want to do is let the kids go over there close to that wolf. You know? You know? Holy discontent. We may feel holy discontent as an awakening to the distance between the fullness of life in God and where we are currently in this cultural moment. There's a promise of God. There's a life that God has for us. And then there's where we are right now. And there's a lot of things that are influencing us. And it feels like there's a great chasm between like the fullness of life in Christ and where we are today. And that is creating for us a dissonance and a tension that we don't need to be afraid of, but we need to embrace and we need to ask it questions. Living in the fog of secularism has dulled our senses more than we know. We've been secondhand smoking its fumes, and it's made us question the power of prayer, 
the authority of Scripture, the reality of the Holy Spirit, and the presence of God. There's also the reality of spiritual disappointment in an age of immediacy where we can curate a kind of life we want with relative ease. Technology and medicine are becoming nearly godlike. If we ask nearly any question, Google has an answer in seconds. Right, Ryan Carr? Are you with me? Yeah, dude, you and I both, we Google like any question we can think of all day, you know? If we want a product, Amazon has it delivered the same day. If we want a specific type of entertainment, Netflix or Spotify, deliver it at any time. If we're sick or in pain, we have a pill for it. Our world is immediate. But spirituality and the development of our soul is slow, not to mention the deep meaning of suffering. It takes time to pray. It takes time to read the Bible. It takes time to mature or to heal the pains of life. Healing is not immediate, and for some, it's not even possible at all. Disappointment is a constant experience for us now because we're sold a message that we can somehow escape it. But we can't because reality is lower than the image we are told we can have immediately. So today, when we feel disappointed, rather than feel it or to allow it to teach us, we can all too easily numb or medicate the pain by binging on Netflix, buying on Amazon, popping another pain pill, or drinking another glass of wine, all to put out the anxiety fires within. Preparation, what we talked about last week. Are you guys with me? Yeah, yeah? okay. Preparation, you know, this is what Jordan talked about um, just two weeks ago. Christians today are feeling a mounting discontent in their current faith experience. Some are apathetic and passive to the discontent, choosing to put it off. Some are letting go of the faith altogether, and some, a few, a remnant, are choosing to engage their discontent by allowing it to crystallize. They are preparing to fight for their heart and their faith by engaging in prayer and contending patterns for spiritual awakening. They are ready to step into the pain, the disappointment, their questions, and they are ready to humble themselves to God to see a new wave of renewal come because renewal is always born in crisis. So here we are today talking about contending patterns. We move from a life of, and posture of consumption and passivity to one of contending for God's presence to come with power. We come to the place where we realize that our lives, our faith, our churches, and our culture cannot be changed by anything but the presence of God. Contending means to stretch or to fight for something. We build time and place into our life that allows us to experience the presence of God individually and corporately and contend for more of God's presence in my life, my church, and my city. I think a great question for us to ask right now is if renewal came, if there was renewal that was happening in your life, and if there was renewal that was happening in the city, what would renewal look like? Like, what would it look like to you? We haven't even thought about that much. We've just been talking about renewal, right? Like it's this thing out there. 
But if God were to like blow a wind of renewal in your life, in your heart, what would renewal look like? You guys want to catch box that? You want to throw the box around a little bit? Are y'all overwhelmed by what I just read to you? Or lost in thought? Lost in thought a little bit? Lost in thought? Yeah, not rhetorical. Right, that's a very good point, Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's two minutes. Two minutes of just like, hey, if renewal were to come, release the pressure valve a little bit from what we just talked about, okay? Yeah. There's no mic on this. We'll there it is. Talk. Yeah, just talk, bro. All right. There's a mic in that thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I think for me... Um, I think of my own double-mindedness, you know, that I have to confess. <laughs> um, so I think renewal would, would um, result in the steadying of my affections, you know, my desire of the kingdom, my desire of God, and my passion for it over and against um, just being carried away by various idol- idols that I could uh, enumerate for everyone, yep. which I will not. <laughs> right. right. It's very good. Very, very good, Brian. Yeah. So I think for me, um, I'll just use this opportunity to confess a little bit. I think renewal for me, and I see this also in our city, would be probably, for me mentally, less fighting against other believers. Um, Because for me, it's like, all this talk about, I'm sorry, (laughs) knock you out. Um, Secularism. I also feel like there's, for me, I have like such a personal like battle with what I view as like Christian secularism and like a worship of like cultural things, cultural Christianity, if that makes sense, without getting like really into that. And so I know for me, a revival would be to be united and to, to love others um, and to not have like infighting. Um, culturally, but like I know that starts with me. I feel that. So hopefully that makes sense to people. Yeah, yeah it does. Um, when I I thought a lot about this since the pre KC thing has happened in these last few months, and I think at least for me personally, a big part of what I believe God wants to do with renewal and revival in our city has to do with. Um, a unity, like you were talking, not arguing with other Christians, not fighting, but uh, a unity that crosses over generational lines and crosses over ethnic lines and, and all the things that um, for so long have been our kind of stake in the ground of this is the kind of Christian we are, or I'm this kind of Christian or this kind of Christian or this. Um, and this unity, I think a big part of it in the generational sense at least is seeing my generation, this older generation, uh, encourage and strengthen and really speak life into that younger generation mm-hmm. and seeing that younger generation taking that and, and doing some new and creative things with a foundation of some ancient truths mm-hmm. uh, from Scripture and in the church that, that my generation maybe couldn't even have imagined, um, but just encouraging that in the younger generation and seeing them just running with it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, you want to go? And then we'll end with you, John. So 
Uh, when you talk about renewal, I think of it personally for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just, and I know it sounds like a plug for the men's retreat, but plug but away. Truly, yeah. that's not my purpose yeah. and goal. But <laughs> it's going to be mine it. here in I a little bit because I'm going to pimp it real hard. Um, yeah, but keep going. But for me, that that renewal has really been personal for me, probably for the last seven ish years. And it's going to be what we're going to talk about in part in two weeks, and that's just recognizing some of the false beliefs of how I see myself and how I think God sees me and even how I see God. And so for me, when you say renewal, I really think of it personally yeah. and, and just having that different lens to see myself. Yeah. Truth yes. versus yes, yes, false. Yes, yes, yes. Thanks. Thank you, Steve. It's perfect. It's exactly where we're going today. Um, I was thinking about it, and I think it looks like a um, a crystallization of values mm-hmm. that move from kind of what the world is telling me to what I know is in my heart and what Jesus would have. And not only that, but also the strength to follow them. Like, yeah, right, right, right. Not to move kind of beyond this, all right, here I'm valuing this thing, and now I'm acting on it. Yeah. As opposed to and actually overcoming that temptation of, well, I gotta go. I, I gotta have this job so I can make this money to have this kind of life, and kind of moving away from that rat race kind of feel that the world kind of requires of us to some extent. And yeah. so, to kind of be able to turn from that in, in an honest way. Yeah. So good, John. Thank you, man. Yeah, you know what? Um, it's encouraging about that to me uh, with you guys. Well, because I want, I want to do this today. I, I, I want to, I want to, the, the question that we're asking today through the rest of this talk is this. What are we contending for? Right? That would be a question. And then where are we contending from? What are we contending for and where are we contending from? Interpersonally. And I want to agree with Steve because the truth is there will be no corporate revival. There will be no corporate renewal. There will be no sense that God is moving through our church even until God begins to renew our hearts individually. Corporate renewal happens because individual renewal is taking place. You understand? Which is why I think it's important for us to pay attention to what we're doing Monday to Saturday. It's very important for us to pay attention to what we are doing to foster a sense and to kind of to, to, to go to the table that God is setting for us Monday through Saturday and to not just show up on Sunday and to just be like, now's the moment for renewal, right? Even though this is a moment for renewal because this is a contending pattern, but there will be others through the week because individual renewal leads to corporate renewal. And what really I love is that as we were just asking the question, what does renewal look like? There's a lot of movements that are alive in the world right now where if you were to pass the mic around, there would have been like miracles. It would have been like, it would have been like miracles and and I listen, I'm I'm into that. I love that. I, I I do, I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth here. What impressed me, however, about what you guys just brought to the table was that it was stuff that God's going to do in you personally. In you personally. Not just description of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to just be wildly, you know, on display in our culture, because that will come, I think. But what must take place first is something before that which is God encountering you. Like the gospel is for you. 
I think that what I want us to know is that the gospel is good news for you. It's not just good news for the world. It's good news for you. And the question is, are we in touch with it? When was the last time that the gospel felt like good news to your own heart? Your own heart. Man. We're contending for this idea, all of us fully alive in Christ. All, listen, I, I, the Gathering Network, I pray, will be a very simple and healthy church. That's, that's the, my goal. That's my desire. My heart for us is that we would just be led into a very simple and healthy church where every disciple in this place is fully alive in Christ where relationships work, and where we make seats at the table for people who don't know Jesus, and they can come as they are, however they are. But it's like all of us fully alive in Christ and inviting other people to become fully alive in Christ. There's this idea of like where we're contending from, where we're contending from. And what I, what I, what I am aware of is that we kind of have an allergy to striving. I think somewhere along the way in our theological life, somewhere along the way over the last like 20 years, we've kind of picked up an allergy to anything that feels like legalism. And when there's such a strong reaction to it, that anytime something starts to sound like it's going to require some effort, we get in a theological cancellation trap. Do you know what I'm saying? Where it's like God comes with a theology that says, this is going to require something of you, and then we cancel it out with a theology that says, nothing should require anything of me. You know? And it, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Actually, what's true is the love of God is like very real over your life, and, and, and that should create a sense of delight in us, so that when God says, hey, I want you to come, this is going to require something of you, a cross we should say, I will gladly bear it because your love, your glory shines on me and I want to give you my whole life to you. It's very hard to look at the New Testament, any disciple of Jesus that walked through the pages of the Old Testament and say, Christianity requires no effort at all to every single disciple being martyred nearly. You know what I'm saying? And so the question is like, what was in them? What was inside them? What was in them that gave them the courage to just live so boldly and on display? And I really believe that God has given us an operating system. We're going to talk through it. I'm not going to get all the way through my talk today. Not even close. Classic. Um, um, We're going to start a conversation. We're going to start a conversation. But if you're new to the gathering or if you haven't been with us in a while, what you know, what you know about us are a couple of things. You know that for the last 10 years, we have been um, uh, living in an operating system of up, in, and out. Love in three different directions. Love God, love each other, love the world. It's where we started as a church in 2009. And this is really the life that we've been into, you know, in uh, like striving to live together. And so for the first 10 years, that was the conversation. And what we realized, what we, what we started to see in right about 2018 was that there was more to the story, but we just didn't have language yet. And sometime last year, um, just through a couple of different resources, and I think what God was just saying to myself and to Jordan, we started to see that actually 
there was this life that even our church was living underneath the waterline that was like, we're, if we're, if we're going to call this a Jesus-shaped life, up, in, and out, love God, love each other, love the world, right? Um, and if we're going to live in these patterns of life together, what we have to understand is that what's under the waterline of our life is what's getting lived into that life. Okay? That's what's getting lived into that life. And listen, if you've been around the gathering at all, you're like, are we seriously talking about this again? Listen, we're going to talk about this all year. Like, this is going to be coming again and again and again because this is the operating system that God has given us. And this is like an onion that we're going to continue to peel back. If you're new with us today, I just want to get you caught up, okay? What I think is very interesting, and this is why I've been so hot about the secularism thing, okay? And I know that you can tell. <laughs> You're right, can you? You're like, Josh, he's really on this, you know? He's really on this. And I think I'm on it a bit prophetically, and so that just means that I'm kind of unpacking it a little bit in front of you, right? And that means it's not, the cake isn't always fully baked, you know, when I'm bringing it. Um, but it's because I'm getting at something that I see and I notice and I'm feeling something from God and I'm trying to name it. I'm trying to name it, which is why we're naming cultural narratives and why we're naming all these things because all of that matters because we live from stories. We live from stories on the inside. What's happening in you externally is coming from a story that's happening in you internally. Okay? And what we have learned together as a church is that there is a very, very intense narrative that has been driving the behavior, I think, of the evangelical church for, I don't even know how long. We're the fruit of this tree. Um, A lot of pain in our lives has created like an internal environment in us that creates what we call an orphan and slave syndrome, okay? An orphan and slave syndrome inside where we actually internalize belief systems that have us behaving and living more as orphans and slaves spiritually than free sons and daughters, okay? So I've said this before, that in my life, in my life, when I'm living as an orphan and a slave, and that's what I'm living into a Jesus-shaped life, prayer for me becomes striving. Discipleship becomes manipulation. And mission becomes just straight hustle in my life. Striving to be close to God manipulating my disciples so that their life will look something I can look, I can like show God and be like, look at my fruit, God. And the hustle is just, I'm just out here just trying to like hustle in mission so that God will look at my life and be proud. I'm trying to do something that brings a sense of significance to my life. Performance, performance. How many of you (laughs) have ever felt like you've been on that spectrum in one way or another. Yes, all of us, and all of us in one way or another. When we are living from a place of sonship, or what we talked about at the Pray KC night just a few weeks ago, beloved, or what we would even call secure attachment, what we're living up from the waterline of our lives in prayer is like, man, I delight in you, God. You know? Like I wake up in the morning at 6.30 
to go downstairs to sit at the table in the dark with my earbuds in and my Bible app. And I'm like, I love being here with you. Like, I need to be here with you, you know? And discipleship, it doesn't look like I'm trying to move Jack Smithy from point A to point B, but it looks like we're family, dude. And I love you. And like, we're going to walk this out together. Like, what is God saying to you? And how can I help you? How can I help you get there? All of you guys that have been disciples of mine, you know, like how, how can we move on together? Mission just looks like adoption. It just looks like we're just setting another seat at the table for any other person who doesn't know Jesus. And we're like, just come and belong with us. Why? Because we're living as sons and daughters of God and we have a sense of delight among us. And that is getting lived into all of our practices and behaviors as a church. Okay? Entire movements are born out of orphan and slave mentalities. Entire movements. Entire movements that burn people out and break their heart and say what we need to do is perform and just crush it Disciple more people, how many do you have? Only three, get 10, right? And it's just orphanism and slavery, and they eventually just burn out. And if you've been in a movement like that, pay attention. Pay attention. This moment, what I'm saying to you right now, because God wants to heal you. God wants to heal you. He doesn't want you to live out a burned out heart. God wants to restore your heart and beloved and sonship so that you can live the dream again. So that you can live the dream again. You have underneath your seat, most of you, um, or if you don't have this, go to, um, if you don't have this sheet of paper, go to uh, gatheringnetwork.org slash beloved. And you can get the PDF there. I made that for you this morning. I'm going to read some of these to you, these descriptives of like an an orphan and slave identity. And I'm just going to read just a few of them, not all of them, and to see if you identify with any of these. Orphans and slaves, you know, when we live from this identity on the inside, we know that God and others love us, but still can't connect. Struggle with belonging, the the ability to connect with God and others. Move on down to they struggle with insecurity and a lack of confidence. Even highly accomplished leaders may have low self-esteem, feeling as if people only love them for what they do, not for who they are. They feel lonely and alone. Orphans feel left behind, abandoned, vulnerable, left to fend for themselves, unsafe, unadvocated for, unprotected, and unprovided for in a volatile world. Down a little further, have a difficult time relating to God as their father. Those Those with an orphan spirit silently view God as one who cannot be fully trusted. They've allowed the wounds of life to become the eyeglasses and the hearing aids of their own hearts. They're not animated in the gifts of the Spirit. 
They believe God loves them cognitively, but struggle to find his love animate their heart and life. They typically feel as if other people have access to the Holy Spirit they can't seem to find. They wonder if there is a, quote, secret passageway into an animated life in the Spirit, fearing they may never find it. And the last one, they struggle even to love themselves or to offer themselves the same love and grace they offer others. Orphans preach the good news of healing, salvation, and hope without assimilating those truths into their own life and experience to find comfort. I found a quote this week from a guy that I want to introduce you to. His name is Eric Gilmore. I would just say, go hunt down anything this guy has. And on his Instagram this week, he posted this. He said, Francis de Sales once said, we've become more occupied with love than the beloved. I would venture to add that these days we've become more occupied with miracles than the beloved. We have a higher value for logic than his love. A lot of times we get more occupied with ministry than the beloved. Here's what I want to offer you today. This whole conversation about revival and renewal, it is secondary. It is fruit. That would be fruit. So is any conversation about discipleship, mission, and even emotional health. All of those things are fruit. The primary conversation for us is what it means for us to be the beloved of God. The very primary conversation, the thing to contend for in this moment is what it means for us to be the beloved of God. What do we do between Monday and Saturday? We go to a secret place, we read books, we're listening to podcasts, we're finding anything that we can find in 2020 that will help us find a revelation of who we are in Christ more and more. Romans 8, 14, 17 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we're God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. If it feels like we're all over the map today, what we're trying to do is put together a cohesive story. Renewal, renewal would look like all of us walking in our biblical sonship. Renewal would look like all of us walking out a spirit of adoption, living securely attached to Jesus, living as David, who is able to kind of walk into a battle and be like, I know who I am right now. I can face Goliath right now because I know who I am. I know who I am in Christ. Another quote by Well, firstly, let me tell you this. Here's some, here's some qualities, what sonship, what the beloved looks like. Can easily connect with God. Can accept the good news of the gospel. Can receive the gifts of the Spirit without striving. Trust God can quickly and completely forgive. 
can comfortably and healthily connect with others, can be spiritually fathered or led by leaders or those in authority, responds to correction and conviction not as though they are bad, but as those who just need to be guided or healed. They like themselves. They can remember the past, live in the moment, and live with a hopeful view of the future. They live with an abundance mentality and not scarcity. Trust God will prove faithful and is animated in the love of God and shows the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Another quote by Eric Gilmore, he says, The heart of the attacks on the Christian life is the revelation of the person of Jesus. The spirit of religion, which is what this is, the orphan and slave mentality, it is a spirit of religion. The spirit of religion has all its arrows pointed at one target, the presence of Jesus. If the enemy can block your vision of Jesus, you'll be blind. You'll be lame. Any true walk with God is an endless experience of the man Christ Jesus who lives today and is highly experiential by the Spirit. Your your experiential union with him comes from experiential fellowship with him. And if there's no experiential fellowship with him, there will be no experiential union with him. And if there's no experiential union with him, you know what that kind of life looks like. There's no victory over sin. There's no fruit of the Spirit, no liberty in life. It is oppressive, cold, dry, dead religion, and it has no gospel tenure of good news that brings people to the table of the Lord. It actually repulses people from it. This is why I've been so hot about the secularism thing, you guys, because this is what's happening today. Many today are running from a religious spirit into orphanism right now. They are running out of family, and this is the work of the enemy in our day. You guys have ears to hear this today. This is what's happening today. Many are running from a religious spirit. It's actually not the church they're running from. It's actually not Jesus they're running from. They are running from a religious spirit. I might say they should be. I mean, let's not forget that a religious spirit is what put Jesus on the cross. You know? Many are running from a religious spirit into orphanism right now because they can't find a place in the church to ask their questions, to wrestle with what they have to wrestle with. Running out of family, and this is the work of the enemy in our day right now. Mm. Renewal and revival, I think, is going to look like a lot of prodigals coming home, in my view. It's going to look like a lot of your friends in Kansas City who are like, man, I'm just pieced out on Christianity altogether. You know? You know that story of the 
the, the prodigal son. I love Tim Keller's treatment of this. He says, it's actually not the story of one brother, it's the story of two. And one is like, I want my inheritance, and I want to go like live my right-brained experience, you know? I want to just go like full-on into experience all the way. I'm going to take my inheritance and just burn the house down. <laughs> so he runs away from home. And just, I mean, it's, it's, it may, it's a great testimony maker. You know what I mean? It was like, you, you know, when you get saved after that, it's like, man, it was just girls and drugs. And, you know, it's like a solid testimony, you know? I grew up Southern Baptist. I was like, you know, you always wanted one of those without having to pay for it. You know what I mean? Like, mine, mine never was any good. I was like, I don't know. Never did drugs. Just loved Jesus my, my life, you know? Lame testimony, you know? But the prodigal son ran out there and he got himself a good one, you know? And he comes home, and I just love Jesus' treatment of this passage. He's like the father just sitting on the porch, just like, like waiting, looking for him, just scanning the horizon. He's like, he'll be back. He'll be back. And when he comes back, I'm just, I just am not going to keep my hands off of him, you know? And then there's this other brother. There's this other brother. Um, both of them were orphans and slaves in their heart, you know? Now the first one just kind of left home as an orphan and just kind of went for it. The other one stayed at home like a slave. And he's like, I obeyed you. I did everything you wanted me to do. I've never one time done anything that wasn't right or good or whatever. And you know who found salvation in this story? The first one. The, the younger brother. You know, who, you know who ended this story hard-hearted and like really couldn't receive the father's love, never received the father's love? The one who was absolutely gripped with a religious spirit. Never could receive the father's love. It's the story of two sons, you know? What I want us to know, I guess, in this season is that the Father is like scanning the horizon for us. And as a church, what I would love for us to be, if we're not just kind of living crazy out there, that we would be an older brother that would be sitting beside the Father on the porch and we're like scanning the horizon and we're like, where are they? Where are they? And when we see him coming over the hill, we go with the Father and we go, you can have my inheritance. I know you spent yours. I'll share mine with you. Of course you can have my calf. Of course you can have my ring. Of course you can have my robe. Of course you can have more of my portion of my inheritance that I didn't spend on women and drugs. But yes, you can be restored not just to the Father's love, but to my love too. That is a spirit of sonship. That's a spirit of sonship. And a spirit, a spirit of sonship delights in the Lord, and it delights in the way of God. It delights in everything about Jesus. It delights in worship, you know? It delights in worship. It delights in, like, spending time alone with the Father. If you guys are even in a contending pattern of, like, really pursuing, like, hard emotional work in your life, ooh, man, Kudos to you. That is holy work. And what I hope and pray you find in that journey is that you are the beloved of God. 
You are the beloved of God. God is with you on the way. He is with you every step of the way. And we need moments, we need moments where we can just like either we're driving and our hearts are tuned to the Lord, where we wake up in the morning and we're like, God, I just long to be with you, where we have a conversant relationship with Jesus. You mamas that have your babies, you mamas and daddies, like I'm looking around the room right now and you're like, man, it'd be great to have time that I could go be with Jesus, you know? Um, Pete Gregg, Pete Gregg, he told this fantastic story that I heard this week of this moment when he had his babies and he had one of his babies in a prayer room and the kid was just going crazy with a dirty diaper and he just learned how to turn that into like this liturgical experience where he was like, God, I know sometimes I scream and I cry because I've personally been like, I'm dirty and my needs aren't met and you undress me and you clean me off. I thank you, God, for cleaning off all the mess in my life. Thank you, Jesus, that this is what you do. You take the little white diaper putty. What's it called? Diaper cream. (laughs) Diaper putty. I've been remodeling things too long. And just... This is a great sermon, John. Um, But he basically built this beautiful metaphor of like tending to the raw parts of our heart. You know what I mean? It's like, may the Spirit of God give us creative ways in whatever, you know, in whatever time of life that we're in right now to create the contending patterns that we can create, that we can create. Those of you guys who are like single and have tons of margin, enjoy your late night binges just fasting in prayer and, you know, till 4 a.m. at the prayer room. God bless you. You know, the rest of us, you know, we're all trying to find our way. But may it be, may it be um, that as we go on this next week, that we are giving ourselves, like stepping into, not in striving, but giving ourselves to, I'm going to go to this moment, I'm going to let the Father teach me about prayer as a beloved son. And it is a conversation in my own life. Personally, it's not easy. I go in and out of these stories all the time. And sometimes when I read this piece of paper that I gave you guys, I find that behavior still alive in my heart, and it has just created a conversation where I can go, okay, I'm operating as an orphan or a slave right now. How can I come into sonship? And it's just a conversation. It's not going to happen in a moment. It is a just perpetual conversation. How can we perpetually come home to a spirit of adoption? And in 2020, may that renewal grip our heart more and more. Amen? Okay, Jesus, um, we can't do this on our own. And so we just come to you and we ask you to pour into our heart and life the full revelation that we are the children of God. Turn the lights on for us, Father. Turn the lights on for us. In Jesus' name, amen. To learn more about The Gathering Network, go to gatheringnetwork.org. Thanks for listening.